Stoker Festival in Dublin, Ireland, this is Fangs. When I say Dracula, what comes into your head? It's a fully fleshed out image of a centuries old vampire, right? That's the power of Bram Stoker's book. It conjures up this character in our minds. And you don't even have had to read the book. It's been adapted so many times in pop culture that the visual of Dracula is something that's just burned onto our collective consciousness. So on today's episode, we're going to explore the visual adaptations and inspirations that Dracula has had in pop culture from illustration to animation. We're going to start with a weird one, mainly because it's something that doesn't actually exist. Stay with me, this will all make sense in a minute. And to explain what it is, we have the man who wrote the book. Uh, Not Bram Stoker, he's dead. But the author of Something in the Blood, the untold story of Bram Stoker. Hi, I'm uh, David Skull. I'm a independent scholar into all things having to do with monsters and vampires, and especially Bram Stoker. Harry Clark, the great Irish illustrator, wanted to illustrate Dracula. Harry Clark was a renowned book illustrator and a master stained glass artist, born in 1889. He illustrated many books, including the fairy tales of Hans Christian Andersen and the stories of Edgar Allan Poe. Extraordinary illustrations of Edgar Allan Poe's stories are still with us and have not been eclipsed by by anybody. So, these illustrations of Dracula that he wanted to do. He was nearly at the end of his life. He, He died young of tuberculosis up to the very end. An edition deluxe of Dracula with his illustrations was was one of his great desires. So why don't these illustrations exist? Well, in a nutshell... Florence turned him down. Florence Balcombe was Bram Stoker's wife, and after his death, she looked after his estate and handled all contracts and copyright for Dracula. She uh, was not impressed. Florence had already had a pretty bad experience with a film adaptation of Dracula, Nosferatu. It was made without her knowledge, and she didn't get any money from it. Her reaction? She wanted financial compensation as well as all copies of the film destroyed. We actually fully delve into that in episode one. So she was understandably cagey about the rights to her late husband's book. She didn't know who the hell Harry Clark was. She felt people were trying to steal money from her. She was a very uh, distrustful and paranoid kind of person. One of the most fascinating people who ever crossed the path of Dracula. She became kind of the bride of Dracula, you know, herself. And she had she had a tough life after Stoker's death. She lived in a you know state of genteel poverty, and most of Stoker's royalties from all his other books were nothing. And the Dracula royalties were kind of a pittance, but they were something she just she just clung to, fiercely protected, with good reason. And that's all to say that Harry Clark's interpretation of Dracula is something we can only dream about. That is just one of the great tragedies. I put it up there with, you know, the near tragedy of Florence almost destroying all Prince of Nosferatu. Okay, so we don't have amazing Harry Clark illustrations of Dracula, but a British animation studio would gift the world one of the strangest takes on Stoker's creation in the 1980s with the children's animated series Count Ducula. Castle Ducula, home for many centuries to a dreadful dynasty of vicious vampire ducks, the Counts of Ducula. Legend has it that these 
Georgia Taylor Aguilar was the curator of an amazing exhibition from the archives of Cosgrove Hall Films, the creators of Ducula, and so I asked her if she'd give us the skinny. Cosgrove Hall Films was a major producer of children's television, and their productions and programmes were seen, and still are seen, in over 80 different countries. He's the greatest. He's fantastic. Yeah, so Count Dracula actually started off in Danger Mouse as a recurring villain, and he was voiced by David Jason. But you're not really a vampire, are you? Oh, yes, I am, really. Count Dracula. Danger Mouse was so, so popular all around the world and ran from 1981 to 1992. So popular, in fact. Nickelodeon wanted a Danger Mouse spin-off series, and therefore Cosgrove Hall Films created Count Duckula. In the heart of Transylvania, in the Vampire Hall of Fame, yeah, The premise of Count Duckula is simple but hilarious. During a resurrection ritual... One of the characters accidentally swaps blood in the reincarnation ritual to catch up, and therefore creating a vegetarian vampire with no thirst for blood whatsoever. Instead... Count Dracula's mission is to find fame and fortune through showmanship and entertaining. Intriguingly, Dracula is so eager to showcase his talent, or lack thereof, which really defies the stereotypical vampire as being a recluse. I am a vegetarian, by the way. Really? I should see a doctor. They can do marvellous things these days. Thank you. Count Dracula's castle is also archetypal of gothic horror, as is Count Dracula's butler, called Igor, although he is not always as subservient as he could be because of his repeated attempts to turn Dracula into a proper vampire by trying to make him drink blood. Oh, sir, why not try a little... If you're going to suggest I pour blood on my porridge, Igor, I shall be forced to order you to leave the room. A little drop of Group AB never hurt anybody, my lord. Dr. Van Helsing's iteration in the series comes through the form of Dr. Von Goosewing, who is Duckula's nemesis, and also a vampire hunter, who insists that Duckula is as deadly as his predecessors. Wienerwelt und Wunderkind, what's this? Butler housekeeper required? No previous experience necessary? Must be good at snacks. Applications to Count Dracula, Castle Dracula, Transylvania Avenue, Transylvania. In my opinion, the success of Count Dracula was based on weaving in these gothic horror tropes along with imaginative conceptual twists that were unexpected, whilst also maintaining guaranteed humour from the use of cartoon physics. If you're feeling... Of the many people who worked on Count Duckula, Dublin-based illustrator Steve Simpson is one of them. And I met Steve in the National Gallery of Ireland when he was the artist in residence. We are in a massive room, a massive empty room, where I have a very tiny desk. Steve started working for Cosgrove in the 80s. I mean, I've always been interested in sort of drawing and cartoons and all that. And my uncle was a cartoonist for the Beano, so I always had a great interest in that area. While I was at college, he got a job working in Cosgrove Hall in Manchester. He was the background concept artist for the BFG. Basically, I got a job through him. And I was brought in, initially, so I was only 19, I'd I'd left college. And I think one of the first jobs I did was make tea. And 
I definitely worked the Xerox machine for a few weeks. First show I think I worked on was Danger Mouse. So it was like a dream job. And I think on my first day there, some kid had dropped his autograph book in and it went all the way around the studio and everybody had to sign the name. And that never happened again. But it was like, this is, yeah, this is, I thought I was working at Disney. Steve quickly left behind the tea making and began work as a background artist for Count Ducula. I think it was one of the first shows that I worked on that had been generated while I was there. Uh, I was working on backgrounds at the time. So when, you, when you're working in animation, it's like, every t it's like new techniques to learn every time. And the, the technique for doing the backgrounds was quite nice. You know? We used to cut up Pantone paper and, and overlay cells of drawings on it. So it was all very simple, but I think it was quite stylish for the time. The backgrounds were hand-drawn, basically. And then we'd photocopy them onto cell, and that would be used as an overlay. So then we'd take colored paper, chop it up. That would be laid down. That would be the basic shapes. There was a bit of airbrushing involved normally, but we'd also paint on the back of the cell. So it was kind of a mix. It, it worked very well with the characters because they were painted on cell as well. So I think it's just a really nice style. Steve's favorite gag from the show? In the original series, he used to be able to change from Duckula into a cricket bat with wings as opposed to like a normal bat. Bram Stoker's book not only secured Dracula's place in horror, but it made sure that vampires in general would become a source of fodder for filmmakers, animators, and even children's book writers. My name is Anne-Marie Pace, and I'm a picture book author, and I have written eight published books, and there are two more coming out in the next year. The main ones I'm known for are the Vampirina Ballerina books. Anne-Marie writes Vampirina Ballerina and Lei Win Pham illustrates. I always loved to write, even from a very young age, and I always loved to read children's books. And even when I went back, you know, as an adult, I still wanted to reread the children's books. I do read adult books, but I usually only read them once. And children's books I would read again and again. And I realized that if I wanted to write, that children's books were probably the thing I ought to be writing. For Vampirina Ballerina, Amory was sitting down trying to come up with an idea for a new book. So I was thinking about things that are opposite, and it seemed to me that vampires and ballet dancers were pretty opposite. So I just started working on it. <laughs> the strange thing is, even though Amory had started writing kids' books about vampires, she was never really a Dracula fan. I really don't like scary things very much. I don't like horror movies. I don't like anything with, you know, those jump moments when something just happens. I don't like a lot of suspense. And I don't really like a lot of the gory Halloween stuff. So it's really strange that I've written this vampire book. But, you know, when I was a kid, we watched The Addams Family and The Munsters. And I think Vampirina fits more into that kind of area of, you know, vampire and scary stuff than the scarier things. So, yeah, I haven't read Anne Rice and I haven't read, you know, the actual Dracula and I haven't seen all the movies that are that are scary. <laughs> I, I, I don't know. Maybe real life is scary enough. I don't need to add to it with the horror films. I 
have four children and they were all fairly close together in age and three of the birthdays were in October. So coming up with three birthday parties and four Halloween costumes, you know, in a month just drove me out of my mind when they were little. <laughs> so always, yeah, so I think that might be part of why I've never enjoyed Halloween as much as I might have because it it was just a stressful time for me having had all these parties and then having to do the costumes. Now, on the other hand, Lewin Pham, the illustrator, she and her husband love Halloween to the point where they actually got married on Halloween and everyone was in costume. So wow. I guess she brings to the table whatever I didn't bring. <laughs> The premise of Vampirina Ballerina is that there's this girl, Vampirina, who is a vampire and wants to be a ballet dancer, and she is telling us this story of how she became a dancer, but it's in this in the form of rules. So it's it's like a how-to book, you know, if you want to be a ballerina, you have to do these things. The book was a hit, and several more soon followed. Vampirina hosts a sleepover, Vampirina at the beach, Vampirina in the snow. Kids loved it, and they weren't the only ones. I mean, I knew that Disney had optioned the book, which means they have the rights to develop it, but not that they're definitely going to develop it. And it was my 50th birthday, and my husband had to work that night, so I just decided to put a call up on Facebook, and I, I wrote, if anyone wants to come over for cake, you know, I'll be serving cake at 7 o'clock. And so I guess about 20 people showed up, and um, we were just about to light the candles, and we had champagne ready, and we had cake, and literally... They were lighting the candles and the phone rang and I would have ignored it because I had company except that I saw it was my agent and my agent does not call after five o'clock on any evening. She she keeps her, you know, her work time is her work time and her home time is her home time. So the idea that she was calling right then at seven something, I knew it was something big and she told me that Disney was going to pick up the option and it was going to be a show. So we had champagne and cake at the ready and a bunch of good friends, and it was a, a wonderful coincidence. I'm Norton Virgin. I'm director of cartoons here at Brown Bag Films in Smithfield, Dublin. You might be able to tell already I'm not from here originally. Norton is from Los Angeles, and he directs Disney's animated version of Vampirina Ballerina. Those books existed within the, the Disney publishing world and were popular, and the preschool people tend to look at, at books as a, as a source. Um, the lady who at the time was head of Disney Junior now has an even bigger role within the Disney animation world. Nancy Cantor is her name, saw the book and just thought, I think she likes a challenge, and she just said, vampire for preschool. Now, no one's ever done that before. And, and I think she, her eyes lit up when she told me about it, like, wow, do you think we could pull this off? How do you make a vampire story that's not scary to three- to six-year-olds, you know, which is sort of our target audience? And so how do you do that? <laughs> well, you, first of all, you draw her to be as cute as Mickey Mouse or Minnie Mouse. And, and the books are very charming. The, the books give a, a, a good basis to, to work from because they, they have a sort of childlike perspective of, of what Charles Adams did in his drawings. You know, weird-looking creatures and monsters in a normal world. And, and the contrast is a lot of fun. 
It's really a genre, if you think about it, of, of comedy adventure, going back to Abbott and Costello. I don't know if Abbott and Costello ever met Dracula. I suppose they probably did. I know they met Frankenstein and a lot of other... <laughs> I'd be surprised if they didn't. Yeah, if they didn't, I'm sure they did. Side note, they did. Count Dracula sleeps in this coffin, but rises every night at sunset. Chick is right. This is awful silly stuff. And, of course, the big TV shows, I imagine they played worldwide, The Addams Family and, and Munsters and those. It's a template. It's, it's, a, um, it's a style. We, of course, avoid a lot of the more gruesome elements of vampire life. <laughs> you know, you don't invite your, your friend for a sleepover intending to dine, you know. <laughs> but um, we, we, we think a lot, of, a lot of times we tell ourselves, okay, this can be spooky as in Halloween spooky, but not spooky as in, you know, <laughs> um, Bram Stoker's Dracula. <laughs> we were normal vampires in Transylvania. Like the other monsters on every block Till we packed our things and we flapped our wings And we got a case of human race culture shock Whoa. I don't have anything to do with the production of the show So that is all in the hands of Brown Bag Films And all the people that work with them So I just sort of see myself as the show's number one fan I knew, um, you know, when you sign a contract giving someone like Disney the rights to develop a show you're you're giving up some of the power i mean jk rowling has you know she can stamp everything with approval or not but i don't have that kind of power and most people don't so i knew from the start that there would be changes you know for one thing i've written four books they've written, done over 50 stories because it's a tv show and there's 26 episodes or whatever it is so you know they were just going to have to develop the character in ways that that we don't get to do in the books. And I was prepared for that. I actually took a, a fresh look at the books recently, and I was pleasantly surprised how much of the flavor and little little nuggets of their ideas kind of, you know, made it their way into our show. It's just been fun to see what they do. And I'm really pleased with the way the, the writers have taken the show in terms of, you know, teaching children to accept people who are different and to try to get to know them and learn from them and welcome them as friends. And, you know, certainly in the United States, that's a big issue right now, as you probably know. Mm -hmm. So so I, I'm glad that Vampirina, the TV show, has that theme to it, to maybe in the future those kids will grow up and things will be a little easier for people getting along. But that's how everyone dances in Pennsylvania. V, I think we were wrong about showing you how to dance the human way. The audience started applauding when you turned into a bat. He did? Yep. What you did out there wasn't exactly human ballet, but they loved it. You just need to go out there and be yourself. A vampire ballerina. I as for Bram Stoker's book, Norton has read that too. Yeah, I actually read the book ages ago. I must admit I went through a phase, I think I was reading a lot of different things that are public domain, you know, that maybe we could do something with. Um, and, and that was a while ago. I think I remember reading uh, Mary Shelley at the same time I read Bram Stoker. But my real eyes were open to the potential of Dracula as a character by a comic book series Marvel Comics put out in the 70s, I think. I was a kid, and a wonderful artist named Gene Colan, who I was a fan of. He was terrific, if anybody ever can find these, they're very cool. Um, terrific at 
camera angles, all those drawings, but um, moodiness, dark, spooky. I'm sure they were quite loosely adapted from the original, but they with villain, super villains, and, and, and he was kind of on the edge between a good guy and a bad guy, you know? But that's where I really fell in love with the character. So like Nancy Cantor at Disney, my eyes kind of lit up too at the chance to try to make a cute and lovable vampire. That's about it for today. On our next episode, we'll be looking at Dracula in video games, music and TV. And we'll be talking to the guy who created The Count on Sesame Street. Do not miss it. Songs was produced and hosted by Liam Garrity. The theme music was composed by Spencer Thune. If you enjoyed this podcast, leave a review in blood and bite your friends. <laughs> I, I mean, tell your friends. See BramStokerFestival.com <laughs> <laughs>